If I were to say God is good, you would say all the time, and then I would say all the time, God is good. I love that phrase, that saying. It's one that I've said a lot, I've heard a lot. I think you, church family, have heard a lot. I think when John Ciccarelli was senior pastor here, he used to say that quite often. I think even Pastor Joseph said it when he got up to do announcements last week. I love that saying. I believe that saying to be true. I know it's true that God is good all the time. Amen? But if I'm honest, even though I know it is true, it is hard sometimes to trust that saying. Like when things aren't going particularly well at work or with finances or with your health or relationship or whatever, it can be a struggle to trust that God is good. I think it can be just as much of a struggle to trust that God is good when things are going really well. As we get more resources or comforts, we can sometimes be less committed and dependent upon God. If you ever find yourself, like me, struggling with trusting that God is good all the time, you are in good company. Because the very first human beings created also had that very same struggle. And it seems like one of the key words the text uses to alert us, one of the key themes the text uses in Genesis 3 to alert us to the fact that this is a struggle that they are having is the word naked. I was going to say a joke here about how now I have everyone's attention, but I think I have everyone's attention after the feedback we experienced before. Uh, I even thought of putting naked somehow in the sermon title and maybe thought more people would come to church this morning intrigued by what is in the title, but none of the titles um, sounded right, so I didn't do that. But it seems like that is one of the ways in which the author is trying to communicate, amongst many other ways, uh, what is happening, this issue that Adam and Eve are having with not trusting the goodness of God. Well, let's get into the text. We already read it, uh, um, or Terry already read it for us before, but let's read through it again. Genesis chapter 3, whatever format you've got God's Word with you, or it should be on the screen behind you, I'm reading from the NIV. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him 
hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. How crushing that must have been for God, (laughs) hiding from him. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Let's pause there for a moment. We'll get into a little bit more of the text later. It seems, right, that naked is this key word or theme in the narrative. And it's important for us to remember as we read what we just did in chapter 3, that they are feeling shame and fear as they realize their nakedness, that in the previous chapter, they were feeling different about their nakedness. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And then there is something else that I think is fascinating when you, to, to add to what we have just read, and that is the adjective that is used to describe the serpent. Remember what the serpent is called right there in Genesis 3, verse 1? Crafty. Or in some cases, you could also be translated as wise or shrewd. If you look that up in the original Hebrew language, you notice that this is an alliteration of the Hebrew word that is used for naked. You know, like when you have two different words, but they kind of sound the same and you use them side by side, that's kind of what's going on here. It's a play on words, if you will. Sometimes the writers in the Bible used literary devices like that. I have a little slide to kind of give you a visual of what it would look like. So here you can see, if some of you that may be familiar with Hebrew know that you're gonna start on the right and read from right to left. And if you really know Hebrew, you don't need those little symbols like the T or the dot or the two dots below. Those are what tell us what the vowel sound should be like. But if you really know Hebrew, you don't even need those. You just know what the vowel sounds would like, even though all you get is consonants in the, uh, in the text. But what you can see that the very first one, Arom, in Genesis 2:25, is where they are naked and unashamed. And then in chapter 3, verse 7, you can see that it's a slightly different form of that word nakedness, which is also interesting because in other places in the Old Testament, where you see that form that is used in chapter 3, it is often with the connotation of something negative, right? And so now it is Aram, which is naked and ashamed. But then in chapter 3, verse 1, where the word that is translated as crafty or wise is Arum, You can see the play on words that the author is doing. And I know from the context of the story, the translation we already have, we can get the gist of this, but it's interesting that even the author would use this play on words to, I think, communicate to us in such a clear way how it is that Adam and Eve go from this state of innocence and contentment and transition into the state of shame and and fear. It is through that wisdom that they buy into there in verse 1. The crafty and wise serpent tempts Eve and Adam by presenting really a quest for wisdom, right? And it sounds positive. You will be like God. You will know the difference between good and evil. And the irony is of this temptation is that they were made in what? The image of God, right? They were already like God. He has already created everything good, and they have been experiencing that. So the temptation here isn't just a rebellion against God's instructions about which tree to eat from and which tree to not eat from. It is a quest for wisdom 
and goodness apart from God's provision. Maybe said another way, rather than trust who God is and what he says is good, they will trust in themselves and determine what is good. They've bought into this different kind of wisdom, a faulty kind of wisdom. The thoughts of Eve in verse 6 reveal that this is, I think, the crux of the issue. I'll just, I don't think I have it on the screen, but to read it for you again. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and it also was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. As Terry mentioned already in our worship, this is a shocking statement because up to this point, the only one who has had the power to see and know what is good is God. Every day of creation, right? God creates, he sees that it's good. Second day, creates, sees it is good. On and on and on. Then on the sixth day, it is very good. Their mistake is that they have stopped trusting that. I like the way one of my favorite authors puts it in her book, Patriarchs and Prophets. She says, Eve really believed the words of Satan, but her belief did not save her from the penalty of sin. She disbelieved the words of God, and this is what led to her fall. In the judgment, men will not be condemned because they conscientiously believed a lie, but because they did not believe the truth because they neglected the opportunity of learning what truth is. I think the creation account and the rest of scripture tells us the truth that God is good. And they had stopped believing that. Theologians and commentators have many different theories as to why Adam and Eve were naked without shame in chapter two, but then naked with shame in chapter three. I know Ellen White has some insightful comments about it too. And those theories and and comments are helpful and, and interesting, but I wonder, I wonder if it's simply a matter of, in one context, they trusted the goodness of God, and in the other context, they had forsaken the goodness of God. I don't think that it was that their eyes were open just because that that they were, their, their eyes, let me say this again. I don't think it was that their eyes were just open to the fact that they were naked after they had failed to follow God's instructions. I think their eyes were open to what it's like living without trusting the goodness of God. I think that is the root cause of the fall, not trusting that God is good. And I would suggest that I think that's largely the root cause of our struggles today. You know, and there's something so very sad that can happen when we stop trusting his goodness. The very best blessings in our lives can start to become a burden. The things that we treasure the most can can be seen as a source of trouble. That's the idea we get as we read the next verse, verse 12. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. This is also a shocking statement because the only thing in the creation account that God has seen that is not good is that man is alone. Adam was alone. 
And so from Adam's side, God creates Eve so that that is no longer the case. And other than God's own presence, which they are also hiding from, this gift of companionship and love that Adam and Eve will share together is the greatest blessing God has given yet, but now this blessing is a burden. This treasure is a source of trouble. Family, are there any blessings that God has given you that have started to feel like a burden? Things that he has, you know he has given you, that he has blessed you with, that you treasure, but start to feel like a source of trouble. Maybe it's a job, a a ministry, your spouse, your kids, your parents, siblings, a friend, a relationship. If so, maybe your real struggle is trusting the goodness of God. If you're looking for wisdom and purpose and fulfillment outside of God's provision, it could be leading to even the very best things in your life feeling like a burden. So it seems pretty clear then, right, family, that let's just all do a better job of trusting in the goodness of God and everything's gonna be great, everything's gonna be perfect. We could end the sermon there, that might be a record for how short of a sermon I give you on a Sabbath morning. As I mentioned earlier, it can be hard to keep trusting that he's good, even though we know it's true. Whether circumstances are poor or great, it can be tempting to put our trust in something else or ourselves. I mean, my goodness, if Adam and Eve, who lived in this garden paradise, who didn't have the propensity to sin like you and I do, if they, just a short time after they were created, stopped trusting in the goodness of God, what hope do we have that we could do it? The only hope that we have is the same hope that Adam and Eve only have, grace. That's the only hope we have. Just before God gives the painful reality that they will now have to live in, he gives a promise of grace. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, opposition between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And he will crush, he will conquer your head and you will strike his heel. Adam and Eve stop trusting God's goodness. And what does God do? He gives them the very best thing he has, himself. Jesus is the promise that will come from her offspring. Adam and Eve don't deserve such a promise. You and I don't deserve such a promise. But it's a promise God freely gave, a promise he freely fulfilled by going to the cross for you and I. In 2015, something horrific happened in our community. I've actually used this illustration before, but now living here, it feels a little different. Maybe some of you remember this. Back in 2015, there was a shooting massacre that happened at the Inland Regional Center in San Bernardino. It was during a holiday party hosted by the county health department. 
Minutes before it happened, co-workers Denise Peraza and Shannon Johnson, who had worked together for years, their desks were side by side, uh, they were there at the party, and, and things were kind of dragging along. They were watching the clock, and they, they joked to each other how the clock must be broken because it's really seeming to not move very fast. As I said, they were old friends, longtime co-workers, and as they were joking about how the party was dragging along, that gunman came in and began to open fire. Shannon and Denise dropped immediately to the floor, and as the bullets were flying, Shannon made his way over to Denise, and he put his arms tightly around her. Shannon did not survive that day, but Denise did, because he shielded her and saved her life. In an interview later, Denise said something along the lines of, even though it all happened so fast, it was chaotic. I will always remember in the midst of all that how Shannon put his arms so tightly around me as we sat there behind my chair and he whispered these words in my ear, I got you. I got you. Family, the grace of God has got you. I don't always trust his goodness like I should, and I suspect that you don't either, but the good news is that Jesus was willing to go to the cross so that he could put his arms around us and say, I got you, I got you. Our sin was deep, but his grace was deeper. And I hope, family, that the more you experience his grace, the more you will come to trust that God is good all the time. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a God that came searching for us and that is softly and tenderly calling us home. And we would not be able to come home were it not for your grace. Thank you. May your grace help us to stop doubting that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.